Welcome to Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro, powered by Beyond, where we dive heart first into all things events in the nonprofit world. Hi, I'm Amy Milne, your host and CEO of Beyond and the Nonprofit Event Collective, where we believe that your events matter. You're not just hosting an event, you're inviting people to join you in changing the world. We're here to talk tricks of the trade and share tales from the trenches so you can produce epic events that inspire participants, raise more money, and change lives. Let's dive in. I am beyond delighted to welcome Michael Braithwaite, CEO of Blue Door, to Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro podcast today. Michael is an established nonprofit executive with a passion for motivating staff, communities, and boards to find ways both strategically and operationally to improve our communities for children, youth, and families. I have had the pleasure of watching Michael's great work from the sidelines, and today I am excited to sit down and talk all the nonprofit things with him. From his humble beginnings as a dishwasher at Mother's Pizza to becoming an inspirational nonprofit leader and a fierce advocate for humankind, Michael is the real deal. I am so grateful for our conversation, and I know you will be too when you have finished this episode. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here. I am so excited. Just before we jumped on and pressed record, I feel like you and I have, at least for me, I've been I've been watching your career over the years, and so it's quite an honor to have you here today. So I know a little bit about you and where you're from, but our good listeners may not. So tell me, tell them who you are and what you do. <laughs> Thanks so much. I'm a, a long, well, career nonprofit guy, and I kind of stumbled into it. I often tell the story of it's, it's my mom's fault. She, I, I was fallen told at, I think, 12 that I wasn't going to sit around the house for the summer. And so I was all told I was going to volunteer at the Y, which I couldn't believe in. Volunteer, like, why would I do anything for free? Why right. would I give it, you know, like, unbelievable. And, and, you know, I wanted to be, I don't know if, you, if this shows my age, I wanted to be a, a Dickie D. So one of those guys that rides a bicycle around with ice cream in it. But my mom had heard stories about those guys ice cream guys getting robbed and then shoved in their cart and pushed down hills. Oh. So she wasn't going to have any of that. I think they were making big bucks, like, you know, $1.90 an hour or something. Right? So she forced me to go to the Y and to be a leader in training or counselor in training, CIT. And I, I just took to it. I loved it. I love working with others, love working with kids. Was hired at 14. A little, I think even like kind of a little illegally, they weren't really supposed to hire me. <laughs> Did that, became like a camp director early on and just kept with it. And the why was kind of, it was kind of funny because it was like, like a lot of people, when you start a job like that, you know, I'm going to go to school so I could do a real job. And then mm-hmm. at some point, school for me was, was fairly tough because like, sorry, university, I, I BS yep. my way through high school and you can't do that in university. <laughs> so kid, <laughs> so you got to really do the work because I could, you know, bullshit my way through essays and everything in yep. high school and, and get 70, 75. And I was cruising. And then I tried to pull that university and didn't go over so well. They wrote right on there, do the research. Awesome. But I learned, I'm like, man, this is like, I'm not a sit in a lecture kind of guy to learn. It's really yep. tough. Right. And mm-hmm. so I would later on when I did go back to school. So I, I stopped going to school, was able, someone convinced me and said, do you ever think about doing this YMCA thing like for a living? You know, like what? Mm-hmm. You mean this part-time gig? And so I did. And I, I was given, they were, I was <laughs> probably through default, I think. I, I got a full-time job with employment services with adults. And that was super humbling oh, because cool. it was in 1993 and we had all these new Canadians coming in. It was a service employment program. 
And to this day, I thought, just is not a great, like I had all these like foreign trained professionals who were twice my age that were brilliant. And I was trying to train them to work at uh, frontline customer service jobs. I just felt horrible. And they should be teaching me. I kept thinking like, why am I, what do I have to teach them? So I did that for four months. And then someone went on mat leave in this youth at risk program. And it was part of the childcare sector, which is kind of funny because no one in child, everyone in childcare was fairly terrified of like teenagers, right? Because that's not what yep. they really, and so at a default, I say, I, I got a management job because no one else would do it. And they threw me in there and it, I actually did all right. And then stayed in the state of the Y for a long, long time, many different places, often oh. working with youth at risk and fitness, et cetera, fundraising. And my last stop was in Hamilton from 2006, 2010. And I, we had a men's residence. So we had like 174 dudes living in this residence. And and what the old school way, when you travel around the world, you could stay, well, as the song says, you could stay at the yeah. Y, right? So you stay at the Y. It was like a dorm style thing. It was cheap. It was what? fun. And because of the housing market and crisis that we have, it became actually permanent housing for men. Like it was the cheapest independent housing in Hamilton. It was never meant for that because you like you had no kitchen and you had shared washrooms and there was no services attached. So you can imagine right. 174 men, many with addiction and mental health problems without any mm-hmm. supports. It, it was crazy. Like it was it's a bit of a shit show. So sure. so but they were housed, right? So I, I was like, wow, man, this is what happens when you don't you do housing with those supports. My partner Sylvia was working at Fred Victor in housing and homelessness and she really felt passionate and good about it. And so an opportunity came up for executive director job in New York region with what was then known as Pathways, is now 360 mm-hmm. Kids. That yep. board took a wicked gamble on me, not having ever reported to a board before. And and I went in pretty blind too, because, you know, naively when I went in and then found out, like, you know, we'd, well, some of our funders are re- ready to punt us to the side. I had to cut $200,000 in staffing. So I like, you know, a nice way to come in to lay everyone off and, and then build up again. And we did that and we came back and I was, as I always have been in any job I've ever had, I'm blessed to work with brilliant people, had mm-hmm. brilliant people around me. We took that organization and did some cool, fun, innovative things around youth homelessness, built a new, working with the region of York. We were able to build a new youth hub with housing and supports. It's, it's gorgeous. And then from there, went to raising the roof of national, small, small group, like six mm-hmm. of us doing more of a national think tank around some preventative things on homelessness. And then in 2019, came back to York region where I'm currently at Blue Door organization that's been around for over 40 years that really works with our most vulnerable around housing, health, employment, and looking at filling the gaps and, and really changing and saving lives. And I'm, once again, I'm working with brilliant people that, that make my life easy. That's awesome. I It's amazing to listen to your story. I feel like we have a lot of, you know, similarities. I was in child and youth work. And so I worked in mental health with youth and the same thing, like nobody really wanted to work with them. And I did. They are just such an incredible group of people. And then the YMCA, I grew up going to YMCA camps and stuff, but we go to YMCA Wanakita family camp. Yeah, so yeah. you would be familiar with that. That's my old branch, Hamilton, Burlington. And yeah. My buddy, Steve Hemi, ran that camp for 30 years. So. And I lo- we love it. Like it has become camp and youth to me when as a donor, not just, you yeah. know, as someone who experiences it. To me, it's a yes and. It's, you know, I give the money, I give my money to the things that, you know, often what we all do as donors, give them to places that are we're passionate about. To me, camp is a yes and. Like, I just think anyone involved in a YMCA at any point in their lives have been touched in a way 
like that you can't get anywhere else. I just think the Ys are such special places. I would hire a camp counselor. I always look at like, have you worked in the service industry and have you been a camp counselor? Because then hands down, I will hire you because you've worked with communities and you've created communities and it's it's such a phenomenal place. So you must know Shelly Kuzma then. Do you know Shelly? Name does sound familiar. The why is like our sector. It's big, you know, big with small. We we mostly know. I I should have mentioned too that actually one of my first jobs in my career was as a dishwasher, and I I proudly put that on my LinkedIn profile because I think as you (laughs) if you can survive that, you are like the low. It doesn't get much lower. Where you know if the toilet overflows or anything like it's all on you making the big bucks at three ten an hour. Every labor law being broken, but I can still when I go into a restaurant, I can smell in the air where the dish room is. I can still, and that <laughs> totally. was like 37 years ago. <laughs> yeah. No, I just, I think it just, it builds character. Right. And yeah. I, and I think like, I, I mean, it, looking at your career and where you've gone, I mean, humankind is who you're fighting for and who you're working for. And I think that is so amazing. So tell me, tell me a little bit about the blue door. Tell me where you're at right now and, and what do they do? I mean, you and I were speaking a little bit and before we popped on, but also just in the world, I mean, homelessness has got to be on the rise again, or is it is on the rise given the world we're living in here and the raise, like everything costs too much and jobs and all that. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing at blue door. Blue Door is a wonderful organization. So we're in our 41st year, primarily for a long time, like a lot of people serving people experiencing homelessness. And you'll hear me use that term, right? Because we always wanted to be people-centered. So you see the person first, not their experience. So person experiencing homelessness, right? And like a lot of people, we were very reactive to it for years. So emergency Mm -hmm. shelter, what we call emergency housing, because if it's for one day at someone's house, it's not a shelter. But we were primarily doing that. So we were reacting to someone who's already kind of come into homelessness and that's where it ended. And they stay with us and then leave once, you know, maybe they found housing. Well, over the years, like many of our awesome partners across the country, we, you know, are working on things to a, prevent people from going into homelessness to start, mm-hmm. and then also helping them find housing and keep housing after, and looking at alter- alternative forms too, right? So mm-hmm. emergency housing is really expensive, 24-7 wraparound right. services. Not everyone needs that. In fact, I think 85% of people come into the shelter services, adults, that is, it's just mm-hmm. an income piece. So if they actually had the income, right. they wouldn't be there. They don't need all the wraparound services. But unfortunately, because the income's out there, they're in emergency housing. So we've done a lot of different things where we've got transitional housing, which could be one to four years, I believe now with the government, where we, we wow. kind of wrap around support, so look for permanent housing. And we talk more about innovation, but we have a mm-hmm. 2S LGBTQ plus program for youth for housing. And that, that came out of some research and taking a bold step there. We have a construction social enterprise. And I talked about, you know, my first experience in 1993, working with adults on employment programs, putting them into jobs that for many of them, it really was, didn't have a lot of dignity for them after coming, like mm-hmm. some of them were doctors and one guy was a conductor for a Russian orchestra, like really high profile, and I'm training him and, and understanding why he he didn't like working customer service at Canadian Tire, right? So right. that kind of stuff. I'm like, we've been doing it wrong for years. I was part of the problem. Right. So we saw so construction social enterprise. We'll talk more about it. But we started that because right now we need thousands of people to go into the trades to build the housing we need to get out of the housing crisis. And mm-hmm. those jobs, people make 
start off with a living wage and it's very meaningful. They can point at something and say, I built that. I was part of that. Mm-hmm. It's a true career. So it lifts people out of poverty immediately. So we have a construction company that that not only does construction to build affordable housing and into some pieces there to bring in revenue to Blue Door, but we also launch people into the trades. And so we do that in York region, Peel region, and now into Durham region a little bit more in the construction program right. to grow the impact. We're looking at working with government and other partners, the Home Depot, the foundation as well, to scale that across the country. I love that. That is that is so awesome. I mean, you think about like when you say we're part of the problem and and you know, it's for so long we thought the trades weren't worth much. You know, we'd look at someone who didn't sit in the classroom like you discussed, like how you shared school's not for everyone. And it certainly isn't for everyone. I mean, I'm raising teenagers right now. And one of them is like, I can learn everything I need online. <laughs> like, and he's, he's quite frankly, not wrong. And you can, you can't learn everything, but you know, the trades are like, it's not slowing down and it is literally skills that you can do. And how, I mean, I have a friend who is a Habitat for Humanity mom and she built her house for her kids. And that pride and that story and that journey is so unbelievable. So to have what you've created at Blue Door, the like that is, that is amazing. Well, well, thank you. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, we, we had a curl idea. It was built off Mark Soberano and building up in Toronto. And I, he, he'd been running a construction social enterprise. And when I came to Blue Door, I reached out to Mark. I'd worked with him at Raising the Roof and said, buddy, would you come up to York region? And he said, I got enough going on in Toronto, but I'll help you do it in Toronto, in York region. So we did. And so Construct is the name of the program, but you're right. So we, right now, part of the housing crisis, why we can't build enough homes fast enough so we don't have the people. And you're right around the kind of mindset of people. I, I, my daughters are 20, 22 and 38 and, and all of them, you know, it was always college, university, push, push, push. Mm -hmm. Trades weren't, you know, because they're almost looked down upon. Right, like, mm-hmm. oh no, that's not for P, you know, you have to do this. Or I mean, we've all these people coming out with wonderful degrees, struggling to find work linked to that, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, with the trades, you know, put in a couple of years and you know, you, you can be making amazing money. I mean, there's even things like you know, the cranes that you see on top of mm-hmm. skyscrapers, right? Very hard to find people that have I couldn't do it, right? To climb into a little box mm-hmm. and do that. But you start at a hundred thousand dollars a year. And mm-hmm. coincidentally, what you need in household income to afford a one-bedroom apartment in the GTA, right? Sadly, but but that's what the trades can do, and and I mean the amount of growth that's available to people in that to new and it works for newcomers, right? Absolutely, job, young people, youth at risk. We wrap all those supports around them, you know, mental health supports, rent supports, childcare supports, and then even women fleeing violence. We we are going to put through a cohort of all female soon, thanks to the Canadian Women's Foundation, right? Because the trades also see that they need to to change as well. They need to be yeah. more diverse. They need to welcome individuals from the 2S LGBTQ plus community, more women, more. And so they're really looking to change as well. We have a great partnership with our friends at Leona 506. They have a great training center wow. on Major Mac and uh, up in York region. So yeah, it, it was, listen, I always say most of these good ideas are like born out of failure or screwing up for it. <laughs> okay, maybe we shouldn't repeat that or we should, we keep getting that same result, wondering why. And then looking at, okay, what do we really need to do and making a commitment to it. Well, and you were you were saying to one of your comments to me was, you know, I've taken some really good ideas and made them my own. So what, you know, I think that's, I think 
that takes guts. And I think, you know, we always say like, don't reinvent the wheel, just do something. And so whether you're building on someone else's idea. So, I mean, cause I think like how many coffee shops are there? How many banks are there? Like there is no reason why when we innovate that we can't just be building upon an idea that already exists. Innovation doesn't have to be something that's like brand new yeah, yeah. built out of the sky. And so this project is obviously one of those, as you said, you reached out to a colleague. And so what are some of the other things, you know, when you're, you know, our nonprofit colleagues and leaders are listening to this, like what are some of those great ideas that, you know, you borrowed? Well, even like when I think of innovation, why do we innovate? It's not, you know, if something's working, then, then, you know, go with it. Right. But the reason I, I, sometimes with innovation, as you would know, to, to run projects, we need to have funds for projects. So mm-hmm. when you look at a funder and what are they looking for? Sometimes they, they love to be the first to do X, to mm-hmm. take that jump. So they can say our money did this. And because of that, here's the impact and that kind of. So I always look for that too. And I look at a project at 360 Kids. I was talking to a gentleman, Dr. Stephen Gates, who runs the Homeless Hub and is a brilliant mind and he's got the Order of Canada for his work and research oh, cool. around homelessness. And and he would say to me, because he knew I'm an innovation guy, like yeah. I, I'm a, a risk taker. He's like, there's this cool program called Nice Stop Out of the UK where people with extra rooms in their homes, right, that maybe wanted to downsize and couldn't are kind of, in a sense, almost like older foster care, except they're not that involved. They're really okay. just, for kids, a lot of kids should not go into the shelter system. Maybe they had a blow yeah. with their families. Maybe they need three days to figure out mm-hmm. what we're going to do and they can reunite with their families or move into housing or something because the shelter system can be scary. Yeah. He said they do this night stop because you have, I think it's now over 60 million people on a small island that could fit inside of Ontario in the UK, right? So they have housing issues. They have space issues. So they, <laughs> they've been doing this program, Night Stop, for 30 years. And he told me about it. So I just basically went online, searched up Night Stop, reached out to them, and got in touch with the right person in, in England and said, you know, can we bring this to Canada? And, and they're like, you know, that would be really cool. And I said, so, you know, and I found the funds. So then I reached out to a partner at the time, it was the United Way, and said, I got something really cool. I think we should be the first to do it in Canada. It's an accredited program. We will be the first. It's preventative. It's all, it, it, you know, checks all the right boxes. So we brought that to Canada and, and 360 Kids is still doing that. It's pretty cool. And it gets cool. people in the community ownership of a problem and gets them involved, right? I didn't invent it, but we were the first to bring it here. It's pretty yeah. cool. It's like a host homes is what it's called, right? Cool. So, so things like that. Where And then the big thing about innovation is always convincing people you know, that, that pilot or demonstration project is kind of the new wording around it. Because if it's, if it's a pilot, it's not so scary. Because if we right. fail, it was a pilot. If you succeed, cool. Now we can scale it. And it didn't cost us all that much, right? So so we've done that with a lot of projects. I mean, another one, sometimes you just have to take the leap, right? So for 2S LGBTQ plus youth in York region, we had Seneca College did this fantastic research project where they looked at the needs around housing and homelessness for the queer community, came back and they were like, you know, hey, you know, I I just don't feel safe in the programs that are out there for Mm -hmm. you. We need our own and and, and much more. I'm I'm not doing it justice. And then so we're like, that's great. That's great. And, you know, we should take action. That was 2019. And then Dr. Alex Abramovich, one of the leading researchers in 2S LGBTQ plus research, he did another one in York region and told us that and more and great to have all this data, but it wasn't meant to sit on a shelf. And so we just said, 
you know, screw it. I said, let's just do it. Let's take it <laughs> home and we'll do this and we'll figure out the money. And we did. And the sad part was homophobia and transphobia is alive and well, even with mm-hmm. saying we can, you know, pay for a year's rent in advance. We had a tough time finding a house and a landlord wow. that would, would have, because they were also scared of blue door. They hear shelter. This was independent housing with supports, but inclusion, I N N like an in, inclusion mm-hmm. was born. And so we've, we've been running it. And then you get brave funders, the, the, PL Odad Foundation stepped up and mm. Lou Odad, incredible man, where I met with Lou and he said the words that you don't often hear. He's like, Look, I want to work with smaller charities because the bigs have lots of money and I believe you can't do it in a year. So I want to give three years of funding and I don't really want to have any strings attached. Like, I want you to have the flexibility. Like, yeah, exactly. Right. You're like, like dream. You're like, like, did ah, I, am I, is this a mirage? Right. <laughs> a real man. Like, and he, and he was to his word where he said, okay, uh, we said, here's what we want to do. We've got two studies. He's like, do it. We did that. Beautiful. We did more. And we were able to actually take though that money that Lou invested in us and a few different projects. Like we took, this other, we had this Par- Parks Canada, who knew, right? In a housing mm-hmm. crisis, had 44 vacant, has 44 vacant homes in Rouge Valley Park, right? They're, and they're like, well, we're not really in the housing business. We don't have any capital. We said, if we raise the capital, and we've done this with raising the roof and building up for in Toronto and other places, if we raise the capital, it's like paying 30 years of rent up front and we'll do the work, you know? And so now you've got a brand new duplex for two families that Parks Canada owns and the asset's worth you know, 10 times more. And we've got low, like rent geared to income, truly affordable housing for two families for 30 years. Right. So, so just things like that. And Lou helped see that and the Odad foundation, right. Of taking that risk. And with that, right. that inclusion program, what we had is then we had the, the North Pine foundation stepped in and said, what's holding you back? What, what could stop this program in the future? Well, we mm-hmm. don't own the house. So they bought the house. They gave us the dollars to buy the house. And now that program will live on forever, right? Oh. If you build it, people will come. Funders will come. You know, they, they love projects, you know, that are the impact of that was obvious. And and so that's kind of innovation is you have to take calculated risks and get someone to buy in, even on a small scope. And they don't all pan out. But that's been key because, yeah, we're we're in housing crisis and, and poverty rates and the, the rates of people using food banks are the highest they've ever yeah. been. Yeah, we have, I have some folks that are about to come on and talk about that and what they're doing to raise money and things like that. I love, there's so much I love that you're saying that just echoes some of the things we talk about on the podcast in terms of like the how is none of your business. And I use that statement. It was something a coach gave me years ago is that you're going to come up with a project and you know, there's always someone in the room is like, but we're not, we don't have money yet. We don't have a a funder or whatever. What I'm hearing you say is that you see and what you've been able to do and with the amazing people you work with is you look, you find the ideas and then, and to me, that's the how is none of your business. And then you're going to figure out after that, how you get this amazing project off the ground. And sometimes it might be bootstraps. Sometimes you're going to have, you know, Lou Odette come in and, you know, find a million of those and, and help you run projects. But there's no fear, it seems like, in how you're speaking and in your career in terms of how to literally change the world and change and change it for the people you're working with. And that's, where do you find that courage? Like, what would you, the the young new person in this field or those who've never taken risk, what do you, what do you do? Do you, like, where do you find that? I don't know. I, I think big problems need big solutions, right? And I think, 
you know, and there's plenty of people and they're amazing people that have been doing stuff for 20 years. They've done the same things over and they're doing great work. They're changing, saving lives, but they're not, you know, to really increase that impact, you have to take risks. And for me, I don't know if it's boredom or just a need for innovation or to really like, I look at my blue door team and we had a bunch of senior people who have not changed. I walked into, I walked into a brilliant team right? Mm-hmm. And, and how often are you able to do that? Yeah. All they needed was someone to give them the tools and give them the, the like free range, like, let's do this. Right. And, and they've, ta- they've just sort, they, they, they're right. crushing it. We've gone from, you know, 4 million in revenue to, to now over, you know, 12 million in four years, right? I think that's going to continue to to grow. And it's not about we want to be big in revenue. It's about we want to be big in impact. So I, I don't know. And it's fun. Like it's a thrill yeah. to say, and I said, they, they don't always work. But with fundraising, I think we've got a bunch of ideas, right, that we would mm-hmm. love to do. And depending on the donor, like when you're sitting there with a Lou Odette, like, oh, this is the one we're going to pitch because Lou's risky, like ri- not risk adverse. So let's do right. that. And so-and-so is, so let's stick with this and they're going to like this. So it's the ability to also listen and looking for those matching kind of funding opportunities. I'll tell you with, with the Home Depot Foundation, who's incredibly, they're the biggest private impact maker in homelessness and they're, fu- wow. they're, they're around youth homelessness prevention. So when mm-hmm. this construction program I went to the people I knew there and said, I have an idea for you. There's about eight or nine of us across the country that are doing similar programs. The construction fits with your brand, but it prevents youth homelessness and it really measures your impact, right? Like right now you're giving out millions and you're like doing stuff. You can't really say, here's what we're doing. Right. And you're doing great stuff, but you can't say with this, if you gave a million dollars, right, we could put a hundred people into the trades and that's for you. You know, like, oh, it's amazing, impact, whatever. And we'll even name it for it. We'll call it Tradeworks with an X. We're like, love it. We own the program. Let's, and then, they, you know, after year one, they were like, let's double down. Let's do $5 million over three years and, and add Crips Across Canada. And it's national and it fits. And, we, we you know, our, our stores can wrap their heads around it. A lot of fundraising, as you know, is really like sometimes stepping out of your lingo of fundraisers or whatever and, <laughs> yeah. and, and really making it easy for people to digest and understand, you know, mm-hmm. good house, bad house, people house, like very yeah. simple. How yeah. do I tell that story? And it's, it's storytelling and, and give me a cool story to tell and, and we'll find money for it. Well, and quite frankly, if you look at a Home Depot, if they're investing in your program and there's really great people that come out of the trades in the program, they're going to shop at Home Depot. <laughs> like, like, because, you know, people need to make money. Like, as much as it's about, like, we've got to get people out and, and you know, I'm not discrediting by any means the work, but it, like corporate, I mean, there's, you're altruistic, but you, there's also, you can't give millions if you don't make millions. And so for the Home Depot, you know, they're literally feeding all, they're feeding employees, which is amazing, and they offer great benefits. And so, like, there's this amazing, to me, community through all of that. Like, I think yeah, that's epic. You have to look at, at multiple wins for everything you do. And that's totally. what we look at, too, right? So, look at the, the construct program I'm talking about, and I'll tell you the, the different wins there. Number one, you're, you're actually giving people a way out of poverty, preventing homelessness, doing that, getting people into the trades. Number two, the trades desperately need people. So there's Huge. a win there. Number three, we actually have a construction company. So you have experts. So if someone said, yeah. come fix my basement, experts do that. What you don't pay for are the eight people that come along, right? 
but that's a pretty cool social good. If you have company A and B, they both do the mm-hmm. same thing, the same amount of money, you're probably going to go with A if you can do a social good. That yep. what that does too. That means that Blue Door is bringing in non-government revenue to do take on challenges of housing homelessness mm-hmm. and doing that. So there's that. And for organizations, for nonprofits that own housing or own assets, you know, they can actually apply for funding and say, we want to fix up this house to do X with people for people with developmental disabilities. And we're going to hire Construct. So for your dollar, not only are you going to help you know, us house these people with developmental disabilities, you're also going to pull 25 people who are going to work on this out of poverty because they're going to get launched into the trades. At your point around return, when the government, when we sell, say, this kind of a program to provincial government, what our, our, there's a financial argument to say Shelter costs a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Retraining people costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. People going to the hospital costs a lot of money every time. But when you invest in construct, all those costs go down. People mm-hmm. are not going into homelessness. People are not going on Ontario social assistance. Ontario works. They're coming off disability and they're going in because a lot of people from Ontario works. That's our stream into construct. So they mm-hmm. see the financial argument for it. And yes, they're changing and saving lives and training people, but they're also saving the taxpayers dollars. And if you could do both, why not? And you have to be smart on that investment yeah. when you pitch it. I love it. And I love, I love when projects are full circle and when you can sit there and like literally paint that story, because I think there's so many opportunities to do that. And I don't know to your point of like, we get stuck in the nonprofit sector of like literally just looking at our own little ecosystem that we forget that all these other things can happen and that everybody does need to win. Like, right. Like we can't just, uh, we can only ask so many people for free stuff. And then if they don't have any money, they can't give us anything. So, you know, I think that is so vital. How do you raise money? Like, how do you, who are your donors? Do you run events? How do you, how do you raise funds for your projects? Yeah, it's a great, great question. I mean, our sector is largely supported by government, right? Now, the challenge with that is that every four or five years, the government shifts either federally, locally, provincially. Mm -hmm. So do priorities. So, so you can be so it can't be it may not be stable all the time, right, right? Right. And I think that's on us. We know that it's been that way for years. If you look at the golden standard in our sector, it's Covenant House, which I think mm-hmm. Mark Ass and the CEO would tell me they're about seventy percent fundraised dollars, thirty percent government, which is wonderful, right? So yeah. if if all those things change, you're seventy percent that's their own money. And they built mm-hmm. that's taken, you know, a hundred years to build up, right? They've got a great for thing. Sure. Great fundraisers, great whatever. So we, when I first started at Blue Door, we were about 90% regional government, like one government source. And so oh. it was, you know, of course, they're an awesome partner. They still mm-hmm. are, mm-hmm. but we need to diversify that. So we've got other dollars from the province now, from the federal government. But then we also work with foundations like the Home Depot Foundation, the Odette cool. Foundation, the Pathy Foundations, the Aubrey Dan Foundation, mm-hmm. North Point Foundation. We got incredible fundraisers that on our team you know shout out to rachel sedman who leads our team there director she's a brilliant writer she just gets it and knows how to you know and she works with a bunch of individuals on her team we do one big event Mm -hmm. it's the coldest night of the year that you know, it's, yes. it's, do you know the cold? So the coldest night is, is Brian. <laughs> third party event, right? Yeah. So Brian Carney, Blue Sea yeah. Philanthropy is yeah. brilliant because it allows it groups like Blue Door 
to not with a lot of events and um, you know preaching in the choir a lot of events suck up more time and energy and you actually mm-hmm. are not making money and, and people are like that was a nice gala what was it all about with the coldest night of the year or something like that you're like all right i'm freezing my ass off it's peer-to-peer fundraising it's great mm-hmm. it's across canada so media likes the fact that this is happening not only in your area mm-hmm. it's just an easy thing to run and we bring in now I think about $160,000 a year. Sweet. Yeah, so it's great. So we do that, and that's the signature. Then we do some third-party events. We're involved with an amazing group at Hockey Helps the Homeless who mm-hmm. put in $3 million to give out $3 million to charities across the country. So in York region and other regions, they do these hockey tournaments. And I play in that. And, and oh. Amy, let me tell you, I am a terrible, terrible <laughs> hockey player. It's frightening. You know, they're on the ice. They, With they, people like half your age now. <laughs> well, have their and they're good and right. there's one pro in your team. And yeah. but you know what? I give like give props to like they all are, take it easy on me and, sure. and it's pretty sad. <laughs> and it's like one story from that where I'm skating down the rink and if you call it skating, and I hear George LaRock, if you know he's like this massive guy who played for the Canadians, yeah, like six three, three hundred pounds. And he's French Canadian. I hear him scream to his teammates, let him go. I'm like, they're actually just getting out of my way with the hopes that I don't fall. So I can, like, it was so, I felt like I was in Timbis hockey. But you do that to fundraise. Like, people actually pay, people quite often will pay. I'll always do something with fundraising that links to pain or suffer or something where they'll pay more to do that right so they yeah. they do so we do that they awesome. are incredible they that's what a hundred thousand dollars that come that comes in through hockey helps the homeless and then we do a bunch of third party stuff and that's how we plus our construct money construct our construction social enterprise had about seven hundred thousand in revenue last year so it, it's a bunch it's very diverse in how we bring in funds and replace funds because you know foundations are forever governments are yeah. forever so we're always looking at how do we become more sustainable and we've been able to kind of buy some properties for people experiencing homelessness forever and build that social purpose real estate and do that kind of stuff so it's it's been a journey but that's that's really how we kind of pull it all together that's awesome you might do you did you work with ryan bailey when you for hockey yes ryan and i are good friends yeah he's gonna be on the podcast in a couple weeks and i hired ryan terrible guest terrible guest i i (laughs) he's one of the people who've been most nervous right i hired ryan into his very first job at the underwear fair 20 some years ago for the weekend funny for weekend and breast cancer, right to conquer cancer. He yeah. had like zero event experience. And I just thought he was this like amazing bright light. And I always have, and he's gone on to do incredible yeah. things. And I'm so pumped to talk to him in a couple of weeks about, you know, his return to ride to conquer cancer. Yeah. So, I mean, he's done, he's done such incredible work and I know he loved hockey, hockey helps the homeless. So yeah. that's why we're involved. I mean, him and yeah. I always I love have that. hit it off over the years and we still yeah. we, we meet for lunch and chat talk about how that. we screw things up and <laughs> how we could get out That's of it best. and whatever so yeah it's good yeah. yeah i love there's so much of what you've said that i think is you know if someone's really listening to this you know not only is it a great story and you're an incredible human to listen to and it's one of the things and i spoke to a colleague of mine in the u.s richard kelly a couple episodes back and he works in in a in inner city with inner city youth in Detroit, and you know what I love about you and him is that you work with multiple people, like you work with different organizations, not just the government and the foundations, but you you use third party like a coldest night of the year. You use a hockey helps the homeless. Like there's not this like me me me. I've got to do it all by myself. That I absolutely love, and I think there's so much potential 
for organizations to look at. It doesn't mean that you don't exist and then hockey helps the homeless doesn't exist and that, you know, coldest yeah. night of the year doesn't exist. You coexist. And I think that's missed by a lot of nonprofits, whether it's just how they do their funding or even just how they produce their and in support events. I love the coldest night of the year concept because I'm a huge wow. like signature brand. You know, I'm a big marketer. I love all that. And so yeah. all these little charities doing big things in their communities, but smaller in scope and in scale, you're now a part of this national event, yes. which is so amazing. And you, it's done for you to a certain extent. Yes, yeah. you've got to get the people, but I believe you should. Those are the people in your community that matter. And so I just think you've done such a phenomenal job and people listening. I think that's, you know, outside of also looking outside of your own backyard, like you said, in terms of looking at what are other people in the world doing? How can you adapt to that and share that? But then also just, you're not trying to do it alone. And I love that. No, no, you're right. But no, nor should you, you know what you're good at stay like in a yeah. sense, stay in your lane, but bring people together and everyone wins a little mm-hmm. bit, right? Like with hockey helps, you know, you, you've also, you've got to contribute to that. You've got to be a part of that. But they're really like that event is so well run. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, that team's incredible and they do great work. They put on people leave that and say that was so much fun and it had a purpose and it was a great day. Mm-hmm. Like, so they're the experts, right? But it's a lot of different things where we pull partners in, say, you're the expert at this. We don't need mm-hmm. to be like part of right now. So, so there's a lot of learning curves, right? Like right now, yep. healthcare is actually a large part of any homelessness, right? right? A large part of why people might experience homelessness is because their health is falling apart and they don't have right. connections to mental or physical health mm-hmm. supports. So we've had to step into that arena and work though with partners who are mm-hmm. experts, but who don't get the housing piece. So South Lake right. Hospital in New York, not because they're mean people, but when they discharge people who are vulnerable, they're discharging them into homelessness. They didn't like that. They said, it's wrong. Right. We don't know what to do. So now right. we work with them. We have an in-reach worker. And so that person works with the ER person to make sure they get to the different services cool. that they need, right? So we all have our kind of part to do. Yeah. But it, you know what it is too, Amy, is, is our freaking egos sometimes get in the way. They do. Where yeah, like, oh, 100%. I need to be the biggest. I need to do this. And board's yeah. like, oh, no, no, we're special. We're special. Because I think also <laughs> the, the time, you know, right now there's too many small nonprofits across across the country and, you know, the reality is if they don't come together in some ways, we're, they're not going to exist. And that's going to be a shame because yeah. they do important work. But sometimes yeah. it's egos of the board. Yeah. Oh, totally. Or, yeah. Or, you know, say, oh, no, no, we're special. We're different. We've yeah. got to be. And you're like, we got to get out of our own way. I learned from like brilliant people like Daniele Zanotti at the United Way who, who looked at York. He was the CEO of York. United Way, and he looked at Toronto, and he said the best path forward for us all to have the biggest impact is to merge with Toronto. And he didn't care whether he had a CEO right. title or no title or whatever, because yep. it was best for the. He put organization first, and he did that. Yep. He was the vice president there, and then through a fluke, the current CEO, who's brilliant, had to step away, and he's now the CEO and thriving. And it was a great move, but he put org first. And Love we that. have to do that too. What, like, what are your clients? What is your community? Yeah. What do people need? And too often, sorry, you know, people's egos get in the way and that yeah. blocks progress. I totally agree. I totally agree. I feel like we could talk forever. I feel like we just, I mean, we haven't even gotten into, I mean, and I love when you talk about special, like, I think we could just have an episode three or four of us and I will gather that 
just to talk about why this sector gets in their own way. I mean, that's probably three hours worth of a, a segment. Thank you so much for your time. This has been a delight. If people want to learn more about your what you're doing or reach out to you, and I know you have a podcast as well. So tell us a little bit about you know where people can find you. Sure. I'm going to tell you, so our podcast is called On the Way Home, and it's through Blue Door and the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness, a national organization doing great work. But it really is around housing, homelessness, health, and we have the best and the brightest around the world, like you would, right? Mm. Come in and share. Here's yeah. what we're doing. Here's what hasn't worked. Here's how we've, you know, and it, it's so in and researchers and young people and people with lived experience, it's fun. So on the way home.ca, you can go to bluedoor.ca, check out the work we're doing there. And, and you know, if you ever want to reach out to me, michael.b at bluedoor.ca, I will anyone who's saying, Do you have a minute of time? I young people that want to get into the sector, whatever, I've got all the time in the world for you. So but would love yeah. to chat, Amy. Thanks for this opportunity. Oh my gosh, no worries. And we'll link all that into the show notes so people don't have to like pull over and write this down. (laughs) But Michael, thank you so much for investing your time with us today and our good human listeners. And I look forward to having you on the show again. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening and doing good in the world. We see you. We can't wait for you to join us next time when we hear from another good human who will share their story along with tips and tricks that will help you execute extraordinary events that are sure to have a lasting impact on your participants, beneficiaries, donors, and colleagues. Make sure you follow Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review the show so other nonprofit event pros just like you can find our podcast so they too can create events that matter. Tune in next week to laugh, cry and cheer with us on another episode of Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro. See you soon. Hey, good human. Are you hitting roadblocks with your events and marketing and need a bit of help to take it to the next level? We've got you. Sign up for our monthly hot seat coaching where we will answer your questions live on the podcast. That's right. You'll get to join me, Amy Milne, and my colleague, Lisa Cohen, right here on Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro Podcast. And we will share our expertise to help you with your specific questions. Sound good? Great. Fill out the quick form by following the link in the show notes and we'll take it from there. We're stoked to have you on the podcast, Good Human Listener, to guide you through your current challenges. Keep it real.